Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to The Revenue Formula. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how we created our own operating model a couple of years ago and how you can do it yourself today. Hope you enjoy it. We are well rested, high energy, because we've been kids free, both of us, actually. It was not oh, planned, it was not so planned. It was not planned, yeah. and uh, we were slacking a bit yesterday and really laughing about. I was at least laughing a bit on the couch as I was reflecting over, you know, oh, I can go to the restroom and not get disturbed and blah 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 blah. You know, it's the little things. It's the little things. It's the little things. At the at the same time, it's awkward at home now, right? It's like so for me, it's like no one's there. Yeah, yeah. You come in, it's like now, nah, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no other and choice but opening a bottle of wine. I'm and you, sorry. And you were like writing. Uh, maybe you spend some time with your wife instead of slacking me. Like, yeah. But I kind of would like to work now. I can. Let's see how we're going to piece this yeah. intro together. It's again, how do see. we segue from yeah. this into talking about so, models? Our um, wives look pretty good. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. Are, no, 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 no. I don't, I'm not sure they're listening. We can do a snippet for, yeah. so they watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but we are actually going to talk about models, revenue models, how to build one, why they're important. We have a bit of a, I'll say, catchy title. All models are wrong. Yeah, but some are actually useful. That is the quote. That is the intention. So, obviously, it then follows that is never going to be perfect. It's never going to be able to predict down to you know point two decimals how things are going to pan out. But it is going to be helpful for you. And we've we've covered in uh, some of the previous episodes how to miss a quarter, for example. That mm -hmm. you know you need a model, you need a plan to make sure you don't have a hard miss. Mm -hmm. So today we're really going to unpack how do you build a model as a business to make sure you can actually grow a bit more predictably. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, what, what probably kind of works well here is also a little bit of the, of the story here behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, so how, how did we end up building one? Why was it important? Why was it useful and so forth? So, so I think this is, this is what we're going to spend um, the show on today. And maybe just to be clear, it's not going to be a, you know, episode pitching what we're selling obviously we do build some of this stuff but this is really going to be about how we did it what takeaways you can you know take with you i can see a, a, a funny look on my co-host's face now no you already <laughs> you already sold it right there you already sold it right there that's it that's the end of the pitching yeah. we're going to stop it now and go into story mode yeah. so so we've covered a bit of some of the inputs into the model uh, in previous episodes we'll kind of you know drop some some markers when relevant yep. but really we want to get into the story so how did it happen how did you and, and Olaf will come up with an idea to actually build a model. Yeah. So we, we um, as, as so many times when, when, when things happen, we, uh, we had a little bit of a crisis. Mm. So things weren't going so well in the company. I think we just raised the Series B. We were you know, at the point of like scale, 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 scale. And uh, obviously what we did is because that's, that's what many financial models or budgets are based on is let's just hire more AEs mm. because they each have a quota and they're going to ramp up and we just need to have a lot of quota there and then they're all going to hit and everything is going to be fantastic. And we tried that, didn't quite work out that well for us. And by the way, this is what's going to happen to uh, probably everyone who's listening that still has that kind of approach. Really the just let's do it on, on the quota on the street basically. So what we... What we then were faced with 
was we had aggressive growth targets. We were extremely far away from them. We were burning a lot of money at the same time. So time was running out. Mm. And uh, the way we wanted to grow didn't happen. So we had AEs. We had a productivity expectation of those AEs. 70%, 80%, whatever. We doubled and tripled that team. And suddenly productivity of these was 50 or 40%. And mm. we're like, why is that? Why are they all so lazy? And, you know, how can that be? And... And in reality, obviously, the, the reason why they didn't close much more was simply because they didn't get any more opportunities, any more leads that they could be closing. That I think that was one of the first fundamental realizations. And it always sounds so silly when you talk about it because everyone's like, ah, obviously, Tony, yeah. you know, what are you doing? But I can tell you from talking to many, many people out there, this is still the predominant way of thinking about the world. Let's do it AEs times productivity and done, right? So our realization was, okay, we need to feed those AEs. You know, if we if we can't feed them, then they can't be successful. They can't hit their target. Uh, so it's really about, you know, opportunities and so forth. And then we looked at, okay, so how much, how much do we need to pay for each of those opportunities, actually? Um, and we looked into marketing, how much they were spending on, on the opportunities they were creating. And we looked into outbounds and the opportunities they were creating and how they were behaving. And what we realized that, um, and that thinking, you know, refined later on, but we realized that roughly once something hits opportunity stage, it roughly behaves the same. Mm. It's not fully true. Uh, we learned this a little bit later, but it was was enough of a of an understanding to kind of get to the next step, which then was, well, if those opportunities are roughly behaving the same, shouldn't we then try and pay the same for them you know, whether or not they come from marketing or from, from SDRs or outbound, right? That was kind of the realization. And there then we found that, and that was a big surprise back then, the opportunities coming from the SDR team were much cheaper than the ones that came from marketing. Mm. Yeah, that was kind of one, one big realization. The other big realization was, okay, so now that we have X amount of opportunities, mm, do we actually, and, and this is maybe the leading indicator here, how many A's do we actually need to work through those? Yeah. Instead of the, oh, let's have as many A's as possible, it became a, well, we only have, I don't know, a thousand opportunities. We know that, I don't know, 10 or 15 A's are enough to work through those. We don't need more mm. uh, than that. Yeah? Um. And then we had a couple of, you know, supporting teams around. So we were we were a little bit we had a little bit fat on the side. And then we basically realized, okay, wait a minute. If we shift budget around away from marketing, which was obviously a was not only ads that had to mm. be uh, changed, it is also you know people and so forth, right? So it was massive massive change in the organization. If we take budget away from there and put it into the SDRs, <clears throat> um, that maybe is going to be good. And then we can actually also uh, take budget away from the AEs because we don't need all of them mm. uh, and some of the supporting functions and maybe put them also into opportunity production. But now we were like, okay, cool, that's great. But if we put all of that money into outbound and you know some of the more efficient marketing channels, that will create more opportunities at a certain point in time. And then we need actually AEs to be there as well, but we only have so much budget available. So... How many E's do we actually then need, you mm -hmm. know, once we ramped up? And yeah. if we don't have that budget available for the opportunities, how much, how much opportunities are going to create? So how many, yeah. uh, you know, and you can see that that very quickly became, let's just say, computationally difficult to figure out. Yeah. And 
And then we basically started building a uh, an Excel model around this. Mm. Yeah. And I, I kind of recall when we started having this obsession around opportunities, also the focus began to shift a little bit. I was in, in marketing at that stage. We've always said, hey, revenue is the focus. But when you're not, you know, the closing team, mm. that becomes very abstract mm -hmm. somehow. But opportunities were a lot clearer because it was just the natural next step. And rather than looking at leads, which was, you know, you had more uncertainty for how much revenue would actually come. You had more sources of leads. Mm. Opportunities were, were a lot simpler. And that's when we started getting into, hey, actually we can, with trade shows, we can go on and, you know, buy opportunities at this price. That's mm -hmm. That seems attractive rather than sponsoring, you know, a webinar with whoever. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of led also to a shift in in that kind of prioritization. Uh, and from, I think I... You know, to a degree, I don't dis don't I don't agree with some of that shift anymore. I think we made a couple of mistakes mm. there. Um, I think it was a great way to think about and talk about opportunities and focus the organization around it and become mm. extremely efficient. Yeah. So we went from, and this is you know five six years ago, more actually. We went from a twenty five twenty seven customer acquisition cost payback number, which is like took way too long for us. Back then, that was not okay. So it took the time it took to recoup the yeah. uh, yes. cack. Uh, we went from that, did all the changes, and we got it down to 12 in two or three quarters. So we And, and we increased the revenue coming out of this organization, right? So we went from extreme crisis to, hey, this is working out great. Mm. And, and executing that, doing that, also with the marketing team, that was the right thing to do at that point in time. But I do believe that, and this is probably the, the, the issue with many models, and there's also a little bit the issue with why I believe that finance and financial models are limited to a large degree. They're only able to tell the story from one specific perspective, mm. which is the finance side and how money flows and so forth and salaries. Very often they're they're not really great at explaining and or managing how to create the revenue that the budget is really based on, mm -hmm. right? So that's why having a revenue model on the side is extremely helpful. But the same thing also in back then, I think the the focus was on opportunities. And that's, by the way, super easy for everyone to create that's listening and, and thinking about that. But what I felt was then just a little bit unhelpful was, as you just said, some of the important marketing pieces. Oh, yeah. That you just you, you just don't find the slot in the model where to put a plus one in, no. and therefore you don't do it anymore. And I think that was that was a little bit of a mistake, to be honest. Yeah, but it is also, and, and maybe it's too much of a sidetrack, but it can get really abstract when you go into the marketing marketing sphere. We're doing a podcast right now. How does that fit into a model? Some things. Well, are let just, me show you. Yeah, <laughs> some things are just incredibly hard. Yeah. Okay, so. Let's continue the story here. Uh, so, so you kind of had found, you know, the solution with opportunities, yeah. shifted around budgets. Then what happened? Yeah. So the first thing is we we didn't trust ourselves all that much. Mm, so the first thing that uh, Olafur and I and the team basically did, um, we did a couple of those iterations of the model to figure out what is actually the right approach here. Because the, the first idea... You know, we basically used two, three quarters ago data to model out this or last quarter's results, kind of this typical, very scientific 
great way of doing it. And we did it a couple of times and sometimes we're like extremely wrong with it. Mm. And, you know, until we figured it out and then we hit it and then we felt like, hey, this this actually can be used going forward, right? So there was a bit of back and forth and the, uh, you know, figuring out what is the truest model, if you will. And again, right, this is, this is one of these, uh, hey, all models are uh, useless, you know, statement, mm. which really... And and I know, so I mean, it's from Dave Kellogg. He's uh, he's actually invested in the company. What obviously the intent there is that don't overthink or overbelieve in 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 your models. Don't don't do that. There is a piece of reality that sits on the side of it. A model helps you to you know think through the future, mm. simulate the future, if you will. It helps you to be much more precise in your execution. Uh, and it might even help you, depending on which leading indicators you you're following. It might even help you to, you know, course correct before some things go really wrong, or you know, lead, leading to a hard miss. Uh, mm. You know, we discussed that. But there is also the reality of uh, you know running the business and the forecast and and a couple of things that yeah. a model will won't be able to tell you. Mm. Right? It's other other tools in order to optimize, especially for the short run. Are much more capable in doing exactly that. For example, forecasting meeting and not just hey, well the model said X, Y, and Z. No, in reality there will be uh, deals that you know suddenly drop out, and maybe yeah. you kind of uh, you know this this deal didn't work out, and and then from a model perspective you will well the conversion rate dropped. No, in reality some someone didn't execute that sale really well, right? Yeah. So it's really important to. Uh, live in both worlds equally well, yeah. and uh, and as Dave also agrees, you do need a model to make some of those de- uh, decisions to yeah. to build a plan around it, to figure out what your options are really, especially when you add uh, cash and CAC and all of that stuff to it, and uh, but not get over invested uh, in into into model world and to have a a, a model induced hallucination. I think was yeah. one of his quotes yeah. on this. And so you you did a couple of iterations. You said you simulated, hey, past quarter, how did it actually go? Uh, and we've referred now to the model a couple of times. Can you just put some words to what was the model? What are we in a spreadsheet here? What what was the build? What did it what did yeah. it actually look like roughly? Try and paint a little bit yeah. of a picture there. So we are on a spreadsheet. We are on a spreadsheet for sure. And the the way the way we started doing it, we basically tried and figured out what are the important dimensions here for the business what is what is important and we realized that the different markets were important in that sense it was uh, the nordics it was uh, german-speaking region it was uk and was the us all of those are different leaders and 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 slightly different behavior in uh, acvs so average contract value and um and conversion rates and, Mm. and so forth and uh, we had, you know, that was one split and the other split was inbound versus outbound. So we, at that point, we then realized, oh, wait a minute, we can't just throw inbound and outbound together. Those mm. are separate streams, yeah. s- separate buying journeys, really, and they look different. Yeah. Uh, outbound usually has lower conversion rates, uh, has longer sales cycles, but has higher ACVs because your targeting is much better. And uh, marketing is basically the inverse. Yeah. Higher conversion rates converts much faster, but because you're targeting sometimes a little bit all over the place, ACVs on average are a bit smaller, right? And we basically mapped it out. So Nordics, inbound, outbound, DAG, inbound, outbound, US, inbound, you get the picture. Mm. And then we basically took the historic data 
And it's like, okay, how many opportunities were done in January? In you know, each of these, how many were done in February and so forth? How did they convert? For how much money? How long did it take? We calculated all this thing out. And basically what I just mentioned there, this is what we started calling the revenue formula, mm. which is coincidentally also the name of this show, <laughs> which is uh, you know number of opportunities times conversion rate times uh, average contract value times time, so the sales cycle, equals revenue, right? Mm. And if you kind of build this out in the spreadsheet, and yes, it's going to be probably pretty messy and pretty dirty, and you know, I think your RevOps professional will be the best person to potentially do it. And then we landed at, hey, this is, you know, this is the way we can actually model out revenue. And and now a big shift in addition to that happened, which was, okay, wait a minute. We now understand there are opportunities that are being created by outbound reps. And that highly depends on how many outbound reps you have. Yeah. There were some, you know, based on historic data, there was an assumption, okay, every rep after two or three months should be doing 10 opportunities. And if we add more reps here, that means we get more opportunities on the outbound line for Nordics, for the outbound line in Dach and so forth, wherever you hired them. We obviously knew that they wouldn't be sitting in their seats for forever. So there was a, you know, an attrition basically kind of built in. And this helped us to model out how future opportunities are going to look like. On the marketing side, back then we were a little bit more stupid about it. So we had a very simple, I don't know, two, three, four, five percent a month growth or something like that approach, mm -hmm. which kind of worked out actually really nicely. And this is basically how we had the supply side of the revenue model now-ish done. Yeah. Right, So opportunities from the past, you roll them forward, you understand how they convert, you understand your inputs that you can tweak. So adding more SDRs led to more opportunities, led to more revenue. That was the supply side of things, which then, and I'm just going to keep talking, yeah, you know, no, which go. then led us to realization, to the realization that, you know, I mentioned earlier, or which led us to modeling the realization that I mentioned earlier, which is, well, the sales reps, the AEs themselves, they rarely create opportunities themselves, like two or three a month or something like this. And on and off, uh, we accounted for that, yada, yada. Uh, but the realization was that we only need as many AEs as we have opportunities, not the other way around. Yeah. We don't need, it's actually really inefficient for your CAC payback to have too many A's sitting around with too few opportunities, yeah? So what we then did, you know, I just explained the, the supply side, opportunities, then into revenue. What we then did on the flip side, we did the uh, demand side, call it, terrible naming potentially, but that's really the capacity model, Yeah. right? So we understood, okay, we have in uh, the Nordics, in German-speaking region, in the UK and the US, we have so many reps, you know, after accounting for uh, ramp up and junior, senior, all of that jazz, we had so many, so much quota on the street in each of these different areas. And that is usually a, uh, a revenue number. It's usually a dollar number or a euro number. Okay, you know, it's a million for the Nordics or something like that. Okay, how many opportunities and as a result, how much revenue on the supply side do we actually have uh, for the Nordics? Oh, it's only 700,000 okay, well, that means we now have a problem here. We have too few opportunities for the reps. Number one, this will lead to, and you can't just change quotas quickly. 
because then everyone in German-speaking regions is like, why are their quotas down? Uh, I want the same. So you have a problem here now that uh, basically none of none of the reps on the team is going to hit target, right? So that's a problem. And, you know, you could have the opposite problem as well, which is too much, too many opportunities for yeah. the quota that they can carry. And what you will see in that opposite problem is also inefficient because your conversion rate will go down. They will start be like, ah, you know, this, I don't know, this guy didn't seem right, so I, I, I threw it away. So you really want to balance it out in terms of you know, the most efficient machinery you can build. Mm. Uh, and that's what we use the uh, supply and demand side for, levying it out every quarter, making sure it's right. And whenever we got more money, and obviously there's a, uh, there's a process around that as well, but it was really easy for us to figure out where the next inefficiency was about to arise. Mm. Uh, was it in, uh, in the UK uh, quarter on the street side? Was it, hey, we need to grow more, so we need to put more into opportunities? Was it, and we built this even further out to like, a, um, okay, well now we need a manager here for this now, right? And if we don't have a manager for this, then something else is going to happen. So it was actually very easy for us uh, to have a, a straightforward conversation about the revenue engine, you know, represented by the revenue model, seeing exactly where efficiencies have arised or are going to arise, right? Even to a point of, what if that guy leaves? Yeah. And then being able to play around and, and shift around. And um, that enabled us to have a extremely scalable and um, efficient and uh, predictable machinery, actually, which then helped us, you know, this infamous 12, 12 quarters in a row, right? I'm just thinking, if you're listening to this episode... And you're gonna go now. Okay, I'm gonna create this wonderful model yeah. in a spreadsheet. Yeah, I'm gonna go to my boss. Hey, I built this thing. I tested it. It, you know, it hit the previous quarters to a high, you know, percentage. So I'm fairly confident this is gonna work. I wonder how they will go about accepting such a thing because after all, it seems very simple. It's just a, a, a spreadsheet, right? So how did how did you end up in a place where <laughs> you've been in a, a meeting room with Olaf or you've you know mapped all these things out and you go hey here's a, a model in a spreadsheet yeah. for how we should approach it so i i i was asked though to figure something out and it was so we were in q2 when this happened and it was okay tony we want to get to x by the end of this year we have so much budget available can we do it that really was the question and i think not in all cases will this question be brought to you that's maybe listening. I think mm -hmm. if someone is a revenue leader, then this is an absolute question you, you're going to get asked. And the uh, the result was that I came back and was, um, hey, we can hit this revenue number with the budget that you are giving me. If you want me to hit the revenue number that you really want, you need to give me this budget. Mm. And... Suddenly we had, and this was a CFO, CEO, and I think I was a sales ops manager at that point, kind of conversation. And we were trying to figure this out. And um, and very quickly, so first of all, I had to convince them that it's not about quota on the street. And that was, again, it was a big revelation. It was a big thing. It was quota doesn't matter, guys. It's opportunities. Opportunities matter. And, um, you know, obviously the realization why that is and, and how it's important and so forth but then basically the ability to clearly say, this is what we can achieve with this budget. If you give me more budget, I can achieve that. 
And suddenly we had a clear back and forth conversation between the CFO and I, which, which was really helpful because if you only have a budget, if you only have a financial model, that doesn't explain how you actually create the revenue piece that the whole thing is based on. Yeah. It's very difficult to have that back and forth. It's very difficult to have a data-driven, logic-driven conversation to figure out where can the organization actually land versus the, hey, we told the investors that we want to land here and we should probably roughly be able to do that right, which usually comes from the CFO, CEO side. But then there's very little ability, unless you have a revenue model like something like that, that's at least my experience and, and, and also my belief by now, it's very little ability to sense check, cross check, push back, and or present alternative options to some of those plans and desires, right? And if, if you're listening as a RevOps person, I think I think what could be extremely helpful and, and you know, we're in Q4 now, so some of that thing is done, but use it as a way to, for now, maybe just understand okay, if we want to get to this revenue level by Q2, by Q4 next year, how many how many opportunities does it actually need? And and by when? And from whom? Mm. Maybe even how many leads from which kind of sources? I think that's maybe just a, a, another complexity level that we haven't touched upon. But really kind of build this out and then understand super early on, you know, what can we do to actually get to those opportunities? Yeah. You know, what are the inputs we need to have? And are we having those inputs in their seats right now? Um, because that's what you will need to have done in order to hit that number in Q2, right? And I think once you have done this, and this will be more of an analysis than it is an ongoing tool for you. Once you have done this analysis, I think you should approach your uh, revenue leader of choice and be like, hey, you realize that those are the things we actually need to do and we actually need to hire these people today. Mm. Um, if we don't do that, I think we're gonna land here instead of what you just agreed to with the CFO. So let's let's discuss what we can do in order to close that gap. Yeah. And I think unless you have a revenue leader as a complete moron, sorry, there will be, you know, there will be a little bit like, yeah, yeah, your Excel spreadsheet. There will be that. I've done that myself. But once you get to the point, hey, there's a gap of half a million here that I think is unaddressed, uh, the only way to fix it from my perspective is those two things here, but we're not doing any of this. What what do you think? How, how, how do you think we're going to fix that? Mm. Once you have that uh, fear yeah. installed, and by the way, this fear is universal with everyone who's carrying a, a not oh, their yes. own quota, but like a, a couple of quotas and you know being responsible for the whole engine. It's always the, how do I really know that all the things that I'm planning to do are actually adding up to the revenue number I'm asked to deliver? Yeah. A lot of people are... You know, you want to make sure the target doesn't become a target on your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying I've been doing this for a couple of years and it's it's a little bit of a nightmare sometimes. Yeah. So so I think if you as a RevOps professional can ease that pain a little bit with something like that, go totally do it. And um, and I think your, your boss will be extremely happy about it. And this then also ties back to some of this QBI, MBR stuff. Once you kind of decide that, you know, this is the way to go, it starts to become then increasingly easy for you to create um, an MBR or QBR mm. and say, hey, it should have been so many opportunities. It should have been so many hires. We should have been in so many opportunities per person. Marketing should have been X, Y, and Z. You can sum it all up in the M MBR or QBR and you can step back to a degree in terms of, oh, this should have increased by 30%. Yeah. And, and just 
just point just have the numbers speak for themselves, right? Marketing lifted up 20% month over month, which is massive, extreme high, awesome congratulations. But for you guys to get to the place where you wanted to go, it actually should have gone up 30%. Mm. So yeah, sure, celebrate all you want, but we're still behind now. And it's not, you know, down a Debbie coming around the corner and be like, oh, you missed by 10% points. It's um, it's not an opinion of anyone. It's 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 there. If you if you're not getting to that milestone, you just created a problem for yourself in the future, and you need to take proactive action right now. You know, un unless unless you want to have a hard miss and uh, yeah. have it really hurt, right? And I think you you mentioned the other day the benefit of focusing on opportunities is the fact that you have you have time. All of a sudden, you can see. Oh, oh, it's going the wrong direction right now mm. and that's going to cause a problem in the future versus if revenue was the scale you was oh we missed yeah now okay now we need to <laughs> and to, and to be clear i think i think opportunities and pipeline and qualified opportunities and qualified you know all of that stuff is a great measure for marketing mm. i think in order to do deep dives into why marketing didn't hit the opportunities number you actually need to peel the onion back, go on the lead level, go on the traffic level, understand yeah. what's actually going on here. And sometimes that's really intimidating because there are about a gazillion different metrics in marketing and it's really difficult from the outside to figure out what is important, what's not important. And sales, it's kind of easier. And unless you have a, a good structured way around that and be like, hey, this is, this is, I think, what's going wrong here based on, again, my data, the model, whatever, it's very easy and I've seen this myself and I've been victim of that myself, it's very easy for a marketing leader to deflect and you know push it yeah. to someone else and basically kind of keep that part of the funnel and the organization hidden. And confuse everyone with numbers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It works really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's the perfect way to do it. You know, if 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 you miss a number, just pull a lot of others that look good. <laughs> Change <Yeah>. some definitions. <laughs> Was really good uh, brand impact. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I think there's a future episode there because it's... So we talked a bit about, right, all models are wrong, but some are useful. There are some complex realities out there yeah. that are really hard to anticipate. Yeah. And it's very clear, you know, just from my experience, at least in marketing, that's really difficult. Yeah. And that's, you know, why I like this approach, trying to simplify it, um, start simple um, and build it out from there, like you said. So... You know, hopefully, hopefully this is a mental model you can turn into a spreadsheet that can actually become helpful for you in your planning and execution. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for the episode, Mikkel. Yeah, uh, I hope everyone took a little bit here away and, and learned from our mistakes and uh, hopefully doesn't make the same mistakes as, as we did. Yeah. Now go build the model. Yeah. And hopefully it's useful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Tony. Thanks, Mikkel. Uh, thank you, wonderful listener. Uh, have a good one. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.